What is going on, Blenders? It's Sean, and I am speaking to you because we have another one of our bonus episodes lined up for you. Now, we're so happy that everybody has been wanting to join our show uh, while they're locked up in quarantine, but still have movies to promote. So with that in mind, we had Alicia Silverstone come by and join the Real Blend podcast, and we broke it out to this bonus episode because we cover a lot of ground. Uh, First off, she's in a new movie coming out called Bad Therapy, which you can get on VOD right now. So we all watched it and then talked to her about her process with that film. But then this year being the 25th anniversary of Clueless. Of course, we had to dive into that film uh, and her work on it with Amy Heckerling. We also got into some of the uh, superhero genre talk because obviously she was Batgirl way back in the day for Joel Schumacher. And then she walked us through not just some early points of her career, but a lot of stuff that she's done outside the film industry too. So I think you guys are going to like this one. Uh, Dive into our conversation with Alicia Silverstone, part of the Real Blend podcast on behalf of the film Bad Therapy. Um, So the movie is going to streaming and it's going to be available uh, to audiences on April 17th. Right now, though, as we've been talking about this on the podcast, we're all kind of missing out on the theatrical experience. And I'm curious what scene from Bad Therapy that you really wish you could witness the full audience react to. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's going to be good. I mean, it was I don't know. It's hard to say. It's not like it's an action film where you need to. You know, it's a it's a character driven, dark comedy um, and you're going to have it's such a fun ride and it's really funny. All movies want to be viewed on the big screen. It's so much, it's so lovely to see it that way. But um, I do think that it's going to be just fine. Maybe when I pull the knife on my husband. <laughs> yeah, I got a little fatal attraction vibe from that. I gasped personally. Uh, I guess. <laughs> yes, I gasped. <laughs> you did. You got yeah. friend. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, sometimes I've done some interviews uh, with actors and directors uh, who have made movies based on true stories, and I've, I've been told multiple times that sometimes they've had to scale back like the true story just because it gets so wildly crazy, unbelievable that they're afraid that audiences won't believe it. So I'm curious, this is already such a crazy true story, but were there any elements that you guys maybe had to pull back a little bit just because you went like, this is too crazy. People aren't going to believe this. Well, you know, I don't actually know the details of what is actually true in this and isn't what my understanding is. Nancy, the director, Bill, his wife, Nancy wrote this script. So she, and she had written the book prior And I don't know if I wondered if she embellished it. I can't imagine that she pulled a knife on him, but maybe she did. (laughs) I can't imagine that she um, that it got that bad, but maybe it did. I I don't know. I'd have to ask her. You'd have to ask her what is true and what isn't. Um, But maybe it's worse. (laughs) <laughs> it might be. It might be. <laughs> uh, you know, one thing I love about this film and the idea uh, is like it, there. I kept thinking to myself because I see a therapist once a week just for uh, anxiety and, and things like that. And I think because uh, you're a healthy human. That's exactly what I was going to ask you about, because I, I've been in therapy since I was 14. I've had anxiety since uh, all my life. Um, but the thing about this movie, though, is it makes you do it makes you wonder what if my therapist is actually conspiring against me somehow? And it, 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 again, I already have anxiety, so I'm like, wait, what if that's really going on? <laughs> Poor Kev. But, but, Sounds like the mind of, a, of someone with anxiety. Exactly. <laughs> but in, but uh, joking aside, though, I think therapy and mental health are, are two very important things. I think people should never be ashamed to talk about going to therapy, talking about doing those things. Um, this is, you know, I know that's a movie, and it's obviously based on real-life events, but can you talk about just the idea of just, 
therapy and mental health in general and, and kind of normalizing it and taking that stigma away. And, and even if you, you know, my wife and I, we've gone to therapy before. I mean, you, people go to therapy and it's nothing to be ashamed about, you know? I think that two things. One, I think that we should be very suspicious of any human that does not want to go to therapy to grow. Mm. I think, I think that if the ones who are, who say, I'm not going to go, like somebody asks them, somebody says, Hey, I think it would be good if we went to therapy together. And the guy, the guy in my case <laughs> says, no, I don't want to go. This is, this is, this is a concern. Like you don't want to have the best possible life. You don't want to feel your best. You don't want tools to make life easier. What's wrong with you? You are so messed up that you don't want to have a better life. So I, I'm very suspicious of anyone who is not interested in self-development, self-growth. Um, and I'm very uh, interested and in, in, in excited for those who feel they need absolute, who don't actually need any and they're functioning well, uh, adjusted humans. That's wonderful. Um, but I think that anyone can benefit from it. And uh, yeah. I'm just worried about the ones who won't go. But that said, um, the, it's picking the right person. And I think we need to audition your therapists. You know, if you're looking for a therapist, I need bad therapy is a good example <laughs> of why you should audition your therapist before you commit. You know, um, obviously it's heightened and funny and crazy what happens to them. But, you know, I think that in a more subtle way, you could spend 10 years spinning your wheels, really learning absolutely nothing. I have known people who have been in therapy for 20 years and they seem exactly the same as they did when yeah. they were in and you're like, okay, well, that's not really working, is it? Yeah. Um, so I think it's finding the person that's going to challenge you and that really everything they say resonates with you and they really like zap into your heart when they yeah. speak and you're like, yes, um, you should walk out of there feel, not going, I think that helped. You should know that that yeah. was incredible. So yeah. in bad therapy, what I think is so funny is that this woman who's very normal and has a relationship with her husband who she loves so much um, – goes to therapy, they didn't necessarily have any big problems. They had something they wanted to work out and they go down the rabbit hole of, of trusting someone that, you know, probably they just didn't know enough about, didn't research enough. And, um, so the next thing, you know, she's trying to ruin their lives. <laughs> so yeah. that's fun. And I, I think Rob's line where he essentially admits like, oh, well, I'm here because she kind of dragged me, you know, is one that, that far too many people would just associate with. Because, But if he's but once he's finally honest with himself, you know, he, he learns that he's there to grow and change also. Yeah, yeah. it's OK to be resistant. He still yeah. went. Yeah, yeah. He still went. <laughs> he still I went. Fine to be like, I don't want to. I'm scared or whatever. <laughs> going to <laughs> um my reaction to this movie was very strange from this reason uh it made me and probably because we're in this isolation system and not able to travel i missed los angeles watching this movie um just road shots neighborhood shots scenes of you guys on the beach uh it, it made me feel like it was intentional that you guys made the city um a character and and in particular the the outside shot of the um strip mall where the where the office is I have rode past that that uh, plaza so many times um, and seen the Hawaiian barbecue sign and have wanted to stop and go into the Hawaiian barbecue and try it. No, for real. <laughs> it's probably going to make you sick. Yeah, I know. I know. Full protein. Not good. 
But when you're in an Uber and you and you drive past it because you just left LAX, you're just like, oh, that looks really appealing to me. Was it intentional for you guys to make LA its own character in the film or did I read too much into it because I'm stuck at home? You know, again, these are these are director and writer uh, questions because I don't I'm assuming it was, you know, that's where they lived. I'm assuming it was a big part of their experience and maybe also that they just thought it would look really uh like you said, for the people in, I mean, the thing about a movie that takes place in LA is only the people who really live there or have spent a great amount of time that can really appreciate it. Right. Um, but yeah, it is definitely an LA movie. All, all of the, all of the scenes and all of the settings are really LA, but I don't know. I'm assuming it must've been intentional because it's what they did. Yeah. (laughs) And they did it. Very good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're going to shift gears uh, just for a second, and we're not going to uh, harbor on this for too long, but we did want to touch on uh, Clueless just because it's the 25th anniversary this year. Um, but, you know, there are so often times that that an actor that that has a, a big iconic piece of work over the years learns to not want to talk about it. Like most famously, William Shatner for years didn't want anyone to ever ask him about Star Trek. He was t- tired of talking about it and sick of talking about it. Over the course of, of, a, of 25 years, was there ever time where like you were kind of over talking about Clueless where you kind of just wanted to distance yourself from it? No, I think that, I mean, I completely understand both sides of that. I can understand feeling like if you're so proud of the thing you just made, then I can understand you, you know, like, like musicians, you know, yeah. when you're at a concert, you're like, can yeah. you just, yeah. I don't want to hear you play anything, but what I remember, <laughs> give me free bird. Bird. That I'm here for, play me that. Yeah. Musicians like, F off, I'm here to play what I want to play. And I'm going to make you listen to what I want you to listen to. Right. <laughs> and um, so I understand from both sides. And, um, and I also just really love Clueless. I mean, I think that it, I'm grateful for being a part of something that's so that touched so many people and made so many people so happy. And, you know, Amy Heckerling, there's so many parts of it that are outside of me. You know, Emma, I mean, um, the book Emma written by Jane Austen is a very good book mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's a really good writer. And Amy Heckerling, who, you know, wrote Fast Times at Ridgemont High she ain't too shabby either. She knows what she's doing. So I feel like, you know, just happy to be a part of something that it really resonated with so many people it made them so happy. But I don't remember a time where I was like, I do remember when I was in the Aerosmith videos and people would call yeah, me the yeah. Aerosmith chick. And I was like 17 and I was very offended because I was mm-hmm. like, I'm a very serious actress. <laughs> <laughs> How could you, you know, the arrows in the chick? That was really, and now I think it's hilarious. But at the time, I just, you know, it, I was like, I'm so rude. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's funny. You know, I'm going to show you something only because I've been collecting movie tickets since I was a kid. And I actually still have my Clueless ticket from 1995. $4? That's $4. $4. And it still looks pretty good. The ink on that thing is still pretty pretty good saved every movie you've gone to see from 95 until i became a professional like film critic uh, journalist that i'm doing now but i i yeah i always did that and i, I i've always had that one particular i was a regal cinemas in in uh, newport news virginia but i guess my question to you specifically was you know on clueless specifically is what if social media 
was a part of that story. And yeah, I've said that story took place, you know, in the in the moment it came out, it came out in the 90s. But could you envision how differently the characters would have played with social media? I know it might be a writer question, but just as somebody who played the character that you did, could you imagine social media being thrown into that world? Oh my God. <laughs> well, I think that the, the in the beginning, the phone would just be, I mean, it would just be like this the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those girls that are doing selfies and facey whatever their face the the what is i don't know little selfie video. yeah yeah tiktok Tick, we're learning about tiktoks now we probably tiktok i guess yeah <laughs> oh my god that, honestly i'm like envisioning what like that high school setting would have been with people on their phones and instagram and facebook the story could have been like it would might have even gone differently yeah who knows kevin i have a teenager they they wouldn't have left their bed uh, and they'd be on their phone the entire time. <laughs> you have to actually shoo them out of bed. Um, I'm just curious when you look back at that time, whether what what's more prominent to you when you think about that time period? Was it the the making of the movie, or was it the the time after it was released and the impact that it had on your lives? It it kind of you know catapulted you guys to instant stardom and and really affected everything. But, but when you look back on it, what are you more fond of? Uh... <laughs> Well, you know, I am grateful that, you know, of course, for what Clueless, like I said, what how it touched people. But at the time, I was so young and it really was overwhelming. It was overwhelming when I was in The Crush and The Crush did, re- you know, that movie was really. I love The Crush. I remember seeing that when I was. Yeah, I remember that movie. <laughs> so that was that was first and that was a lot. And then I did a bunch of movies and there was the Aerosmith videos and then did a bunch more movies. Like I did a f- movie with James Gandolfini in France called Le Nouveau Monde and did all these really cool things. But And Jeff Goldblum, I did a movie with called Hideaway. And I just did all these things leading up to then Clueless. And when, so at each turn, I was getting more and more well-known and it was more and more uncomfortable. And when Clueless came out, it was so uncomfortable how, um, you know, I was a teenager, I was 18 and it was just a lot. So I needed a good therapist and I didn't have one. (laughs) (laughs) Full circle. There we go. Oh boy, oh boy. So (laughs) I just got really into activism. And so I'm really grateful that I, you know, I I was so focused on, I I ended up writing books about this, The Kind Diet, The Kind Mama. I went on to do all kinds of things with this, but I just got really focused. I went to Africa and was trying to help the elephants doing this project that was like 20 years ago now. Um, and just really got, went to the Amazon river with Woody Harrelson and tried to, you know, help save the rainforest. We just, you know, I really got so into the world. And so in a way I'm grateful for how much that overwhelmed me, that it allowed me to go into a world of, that I really cared about. You know, sort of bringing it back to, uh, to bad therapy, whatever I, I, I see a movie, that that is based on a true story and, and and the story is just unbelievable. It always kind of makes me pause and go like, I don't think that there's anything that's happened in my life that would yield a, a, a movie like like this or, or a story justifiable of a movie. Uh, if someone were going to make a mo- movie about your life, what is the moment or the story that would make for the best scene? There are a lot. <laughs> <laughs> We've got time. Yeah, we got we got time. I mean, <laughs> I think that to say them wouldn't be funny because it would be tragic. So I would need to put it into the film to make it funny and then you could appreciate it. But there were a lot of things with family and just a lot with family (laughs) that is (laughs) so rich and um, would be a very dark comedy. 
Oh, I want, now <laughs> it, I really want to see this movie. Is that something that you could do? Like, if you wanted to, like, make a movie about, a, like, a story that you're referring to, could, could you go to a family member and say, do you mind if I turn this into a movie? Like, or would you not go down that path? I don't know. I've never been motivated enough to do it. It's something that I think about and yeah. have thought about. But then I just get busy doing all these other things. Like, I'm really more, you know, I'm re- the kind diet, the kind mama, my kind website, my you know, all these things that I put my energy to, they just sort of take precedence over these fun, crazy psycho stories that I think of. Mm-hmm. Um, so one day, perhaps if I, yeah. ever, if I ever find myself bored or, um, motivated enough, but right now I just get m- more motivated about like real life and trying to make change. Um, so my particular, uh, thing, I- I'm a massive fan of how movies are made, how, anything is made television music videos you mentioned the aerosmith videos and i was just always curious about filmmaking of music videos in the 90s and what it was like to shoot those like what what was the band just constantly lip syncing like like what what was it like to be on a set of a video like crying or crazy like what what do you remember about the filmmaking of it well i didn't actually shoot with the band at all right right um, but we, what I do remember is we shot 23 hours in a row. Like oh. that's, that's illegal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we did that on the crush too. I remember on the crush the last night we shot 23 hours because there was no turnaround to worry about. So they just got everything done. Wow. Yeah. So I remember that the most. And I remember Marty Colner is a dear friend of mine and he was the director. director. Yeah. yeah. And he, um, you know, he had it down to a science. He made those like really they looked beautiful and they were really well made. And, um, but I remember that the, the crying video was the first video that sort of showed a woman being in a powerful position. All the mm-hmm. videos prior to that were girls in bikinis and girls being sexual. And this was uh, a woman in power who was like, Oh no, you don't. And, and he made it sort of like a movie, which I don't think had been, you know, hadn't really been happening prior to his it's my understanding to his uh, video making. So it was just like stepping into a little mini movie. So when did you eventually meet Aerosmith, though? If you didn't shoot with them, did you eventually ever connect with them? I went with them at a concert at their concert after the uh, the video had come out and had already been number one for a very long time. And and then I went to see their concert and I met them backstage like, hey, I'm you the say, one in the music video. Well, <laughs> yeah, I hope you got great seats. If you didn't have good seats, you might have been crying. Oh, sorry, it's right. I'm sorry. Oh, stop oh, it. Thank oh, you for laughing. It. Look at right. she's laughing. Oh, they, okay. they make well, fun of me. They make fun of me for my bad puns. Laughter, but it's oh. it's, it, it's part. It's like it's it's loving with you. It's not. <laughs> it's part. I see where they're. I feel both at the same time. <laughs> Charity laughter. I'm gonna pivot slightly because it's it's so much fun to look over uh, your filmography. And especially your more recent choices, because uh, people don't realize like in one year in 2017, you were in the Diary of a Wimpy Kid movie and you were in uh, Yorgos's film Killing of a Sacred Deer. What a, what a year. <laughs> what a year. And I know you can't often plan how things come out. You're just, you know, picking projects and choosing scripts. But another film that you did, The Lodge, you know, was getting a ton of really great press uh, specifically for your performance in it. So I'm, I'm just curious now, what is driving your choices forward? Is it directors in particular? Is it just characters you're being offered that are totally different than things you've done in the past? Um, it's been you've had some really interesting choices lately. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, I'm just having fun. I'm picking things that inspire me, that excite me. And so in the case of Yorgos Lanthimos versus Diary of a Wimpy Kid, <laughs> You know, like I remember 
that I, you know, Yorgos Lanthimos. One of the greatest filmmakers. <laughs> I mean, his movie Dog Tooth is one of, I just think he's so brilliant. The Lobster was amazing. He's so talented. Um, the Dog dog Tooth really did something for me that I, yeah, oh my God. And so, um, you know, what an, uh, I, of course I wanted to work with him. And of course I wanted to play this weird character. I mean, it was just everything about that was wonderful. And work with Colin Farrell and, you know, and be in the movie with Nicole Kimmon and blah, blah, blah. So that was just, so anyway, the, uh, the, that one. And then, and then so that's like, duh, of course I wanted to work on that. And then Dire Wimpy Kid was, the part was fun. It was this mom who was trying so hard to get her kids off of social, uh, off of um, media and gaming and all that and wanting to connect with her children. So it was just a fun part, you know, and, um, and so, and I had a really good time playing that part, even though the the setting is entirely different and obviously a very different audience and all of that. It was a really fun acting part for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just picking things that, you know, and then I'm doing Babysitter's Club that, I mean, that comes oh, out oh, cool. in May. And again, I was just a fun part that I could play with and, um, and be a part of and, what else happened? I love doing theater. So often I'll do theater and that's, you know, I did a play with David Mamet that I was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Oh my God. Glenn Gary. And I did, and I did a play with, um, uh, Laura Linney and, uh, and Eric Bogosian. He played my, we played lovers and, um, or boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever we were getting married, fiancés, And, um, and, that was amazing. That was an incredible theater experience. So I just go wherever I'm going to be inspired and excited. And that's sort of what I do. Well, well, well to that point, thinking about how, how varied and, and long lasting your career has been, you know, I'd imagine that, you know, you have people coming up to you that want to talk to you about sort of different projects, you know, we know whether it's, you know, Clueless or, or Batman and Robin or, or, or the Diary Kid movies. Can you clock like when you see a fan that's like coming over to talk to you, can you sort of know like what they want to talk about before they get to you? Or is it just sort of like, let's just see what happens. I've never thought about it like that. Um, <laughs> I, you know, often they'll do, there are the guessing games where someone will say, oh, I love you. What were you in? <laughs> <laughs> do you ever mess with them? Well, I, I'm not a fan if they, so I, when they say, you know, oh my God, I'm such a fan of yours. I've seen you in Clueless. I love it so much. That's an easy exchange. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the, that's the majority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But every once in a while you get someone who goes, oh my God, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go, oh, hi. And then they go, Wait, no, it's not you. Uh, oh, I'm me. <laughs> and then like, you see Silverstone, stone and you go, yes. And then they go, no, you're not. <laughs> and this game goes back and forth for a while. And then you get annoyed because you're like with yeah, your kid yeah. or you're yeah. like doing something in life. And this exchange is going a little long. And then it becomes, I don't know how to make this stop because if I say yes. And so when I, and then how I mess with them is I'll start saying, no, I'm not. I'm sorry. I was just, I was just pretending. And they're like, what, why are you going to play me like that? Wait, <laughs> then they keep it going. It just keeps going and goes uh, to be like, thank you so much. Bye. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. You're, you're a far more patient person than I am. Uh, we'll, we'll end on this. I mean, obviously we, you know, Jake's talking about the career. You have such an amazing filmography. I, I want to see Yorgos do a diary of wimpy kid. That'd be amazing. I really, Could you imagine that? Oh, I really want to see that. <laughs> um, but you know, obviously I don't know that he will. I know. <laughs> I, I, 
But let him do his version. We can dream. Um, so, but you have you have worked with some incredible, incredible filmmakers. Obviously, Schumacher was on um, on your Batman film, which was you know an incredible director as well. You worked in the superhero genre before it got to where it is now. The superhero genre is it, it's like taking over cinema, the MCU, then DC Comics. Working in superhero movies then, you know, did you have any idea we'd be where we are now? And was your superhero experience a fun one? Did you enjoy working in, in that type of play, uh, playground? Um, I had no, I had no idea. I, I don't even know what it is now. I mean, there it's, <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. Um, I did not have any vision of what anything would be because I was 18. So I wasn't really thinking about anything in the future. Right. It was, just, mm. this is what I'm doing. And I can't say that it was that much fun. I, I love George Clooney and I had such a good experience with him. He was like so sweet to me and kind and, um, you know, really protected me and took care and lovely. Um, but in general, and I loved, I loved Michael Goff, the man who played uh, Alf. Oh, Alfred. He, yes. he was a dream and he and I had such a good relationship and I care about him so much. Um, but aside from that, you know, it wasn't like the deepest acting experience of my career. You know, it wasn't, um, it's more technical, you know, it's really more, um, you know, you, a lot of it is sort of look over the direction would be look over there and throw something. <laughs> Where am I looking? What am I looking at? And what am I throwing? And, and, um, and that's uh, not really that inspiring. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm yeah. bad therapy. I'm playing a woman who's unraveling because of a emotion, a deep emotional conflict that's happening right in her life. And in Yorgos Lanthimos's movie, I'm a desperate woman who's so hanging on for dear life. And um, you know, those are those are interesting, complicated things. In Batman and Robin, I, I don't remember feeling like that. It was mm. just very technical. You have to put the suit on. The suit was like so uncomfortable. <laughs> and I was young. I don't know. I, I wonder how I feel now, but at 18, putting that suit on and not knowing what the heck I was doing, <laughs> it was just like, it wasn't, I can't say it was that fun. And it came in a time in my life where people were being very unkind. So I, I think it was just not the best experience, but, but it wasn't terrible. Luckily I'm, I'm, I was fine, but it's, you know, I, it's not up there with my David Mamet, my Kenneth mm. Branagh, Oh, oh, you know, my Donald Margulies and Daniel Sullivan in the theater with Laura Linney. Like those are the experiences that just, you know, I mean, Kenneth Branagh was a dream. Yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. You know, the Laura Linney and Donald Margulies and Daniel Sullivan, that play was a dream. David Mamet was a dream. Those are those doing being in Clueless. We're working with Amy Heckerling, getting to just completely play and be that role. Those, those are the. Even in The Crush, my first film, that was a dream. It was my first film. So it's just, there's different experiences you have. I would say Batman's more technical sort of filmmaking and less, um, less like artistic. Sure. But that may have been my state of mind at the time. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to get another try. (laughs) You can join Paul Rudd in the Ant-Man movies. You start writing letters. Done. <laughs> Kevin, well, let, me, let me call Kevin Feige real quick. Hold on. We are thrilled that you are still getting to live your dreams and pursue roles like Bad Therapy. And we are so thankful for the time that you uh, took here on Real Blend. Alicia, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's so nice talking to you all. You too. 
Thank you so much to Alicia Silverstone for joining the Real Blend podcast for this long conversation that we had, this bonus episode. Uh, we are going to have a normal episode coming this week also, and we were able to get Joe Pantoliano to come on and talk about not just Bad Boys for Life, but his um, role in the previous two Bad Boys and a lot of stuff from his career, including an amazing story about the steak scene from the original Matrix. So make sure you check that out. And don't just stop there. Go through our entire back catalog. We have a ton of Real Blend episodes that are waiting for you wherever you get your podcasts. So make sure that you catch up with our past episodes and look for new episodes every single week here on Cinema Blend. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.